There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we're speaking with sommelier and wine communicator Samantha Payne about the allure of wine and the changing nature of Australia's wine landscape. Welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name's Steph Postuma, one of your hosts, along with my co-host, Simon Evans. Hi. And we are here today with Samantha Payne, sommelier, wine writer, and communicator at Fix Wine Bar in the City. Hi, guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Sam. Thanks for having me. Uh, we start our podcast with an acknowledgement of country. We're on uh, Gadigal country here in Sydney, so we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land where we sit today, gather and, and talk, and pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. All right, guys, let's start. Sam, um, this is going to be a wine-heavy podcast, so just to put the alert out there for people, it's great. We haven't done a fully wine-focused podcast since, since I don't know, ages ago. So, well, uh, like the, the, almost like the pilot episode. The pilot episode <laughs> for this podcast where we all <laughs> just drank heaps of wine yeah. and thought it was fun. And yeah. yet we're sitting here drinking sparkling water. No, drinking yeah, sparkling yeah. water. How things have changed, eh? <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd like—I I don't know—we there's, there's plenty to talk about. We can we can nerd out on wine. Um, we can talk about your career, Sam, and what you do. Um, but I'd also sort of like to talk a bit about what it is about wine that's so alluring to people. Like, why do people come become so, pardon the pun, intoxicated by wine as hey. an industry and oh. as a beverage and as an idea and everything that goes into it? Because. Once people go down the rabbit hole, and you both have go- gone down the rabbit hole, you get stuck. And I mean, from knowing you, Simon, um, wine is just as much a part of your life as food is. But you're a, you know, you're sort of people will think of you as Absolutely a chef a first, chef. Uh, yeah. a, wi- a wine guy second, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sam, do you kind of remember that first experience that that you kind of got it when it came to wine, and, and sort of was, was got a bit hooked? Yeah, it's, bas- it's it's funny that we're starting with this question because it's literally how I kick-started my career. <laughs> so I was actually doing a degree in art history and English literature because as a kid, the only thing I'd ever loved was art. I wanted to be an art critic. I wanted to be a museum creator. I wanted to paint. I wanted to draw. I wanted to do all of that kind of stuff. So that's what I did at uni and was paying my way um, by working at Vintage Sellers part-time. Now, this was back in the day before... Um, Coles bought them out and they were basically each store was like each manager's individual seller. They would buy all the things that they were really interested in or were excited by and all of this kind of stuff. And I had an incredible, um, I guess, mentor and manager in and basically, you know, held my hand and, and introduced me to all the amazing things that is about wine. So I got to the end of my four year degree and went, I'm hooked. I'm, I'm, you know, in awe of how you take a grape and it becomes part of people's collective experience through winemaking, through viticulture, through, you know, cooking, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I got to the end of my degree and went, that's it. I'm going to be a som. I'm going to take, you know, all the things that I had learnt, you know, about art critic and art critiquing and all of that kind of stuff and was like, I'm going to apply that to wine because it's its own art form in a way. So... 
that's how that's how I got hooked in. Mm. So, did you have any hospitality experience, or was it just vintage sellers at that point? Just vintage sellers at that point. So, what is it like when you decide you want to become a som? Like, do you get educated on the fact that you're going to be working in hospitality and like the realities of what a hospitality? job is no no not at all i just thought i would just walk in with all my wine knowledge <laughs> yeah. and and all my like chutzpah and and my sass and i thought it'd be fine and they were like yeah you've got to carry three plates and i was like i'm sorry what i have to do i have to do what now no no, no i can't i can't possibly do that and they're like you're gonna have to carry three plates and you're gonna have to understand how the pass works and you and you know all of this kind of stuff so i actually started as a bar back in my sort of hospitality experience and then sort of built up from there. And then 12 months later, it'd become head som just through. <laughs> Where was that? Where was That was actually place? at the original Manly Pavilion. So yeah, I was right. part of their opening team. Yeah, and wow. it was so funny. Um, one of the managers there was like, this will be like a hospitality experience that you'll never experience again in your life. And it was right. Like we talk about, you know, the beaches and Bondi and Manly being these bubbles. And it is, it was like our own little world there down in Manly and there was a you know a team of like 35 of us and it was you know Jonathan Barthamus's first run as sort of executive chef and his vision and all that and the team that they'd put together were literally the best of the best at the time and I could not have asked for a better learning experience for my mm. first some job. That's mm. quite a quite a thing to jump into like opening a venue is always full on yeah um, especially if you I mean did you have expectations of like you knew you were get what you were getting into. Had to, no, to, to had some, no idea. To some extent, not, you, you, you not knew you were going to be like you know, running the wine list to start. No, with. you, you, you know, were in, in there for the grunt work. Yeah, I was in there. I was in there to be you know another set of hands who yeah, can lift yeah. boxes and carry <laughs> things up three flights of stairs. Yeah, like, nice. um, but that's what I was there mm. to do. It was for me the end result of where I am now was always in was always in the field of vision and yeah. it was I can't write about something and talk about something and communicate about something if I don't know it in and out and back to front so, yeah. and that's what me becoming a som was all about mm. was understanding that cohesion between food and wine and how that's a different space to wine retail and yes you're still talking to people but it's in a completely different context yeah it does seem like it's, it's something that people kind of fall into in many ways, um, especially like kind of the university thing. Like a lot of people, like my business partner Tom, he was doing maths and physics in uni mm. before he became a chef. And everyone's always like, oh, that's really strange when it's actually quite common that people are going to get this little hospo job, fall in love with it, get the rush, and then end up bailing Hooked. on their quite expensive degree yeah. and, uh, and, and going full time with it. But um, almost more so than people who went, like, as a young age, I want to work in a bar or I want to work in hospitality. Like, you don't really find that. It's always kind of like a second idea, second go, something you fell into and got hooked. Yeah. Yeah, especially sort of, I mean, you might see now when it comes to, like, celebrity chef culture and and food, like, the the types of sort of mainstream food media and popularized food media that you see on TV and stuff, people going, I want to be a chef from a very young age. Mm. But, I mean, being at our age, we're all around the same age, I'm guessing. um, 30s. Back, Mm. yeah, 30s. We, we, (laughs) we, you know, like, when we were young, there was no... Like, I mean, there was the two fat ladies. I remember they were, like, the first famous <laughs> chefs that I knew about. And there was, uh, like, Consuming Passions and Big Huey oh. on the TV. But no one was like, I want to be like Big Huey. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no one was like Big Huey. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, then, and, and, I mean, obviously, restaurant I, culture I and that you, sort of thing was completely you've seen different as now, well. now, like, I mean, like, MasterChef Juniors just started. And mm. there's these, like, kids who are, like, 10 and they want to be a chef. Because they like cooking in a mum's yeah, kitchen. Yeah, totally. I'm like, oh, God, you're going to have a fun time in eight years when you get in a proper kitchen. But, but I um, think it's also like a cultural thing as well. Like you talk to someone like Kylie Kwong, who mm. I worked with for, you know, a few years and incredible, incredible chef and incredible person. But she grew up cooking. And yeah. you ask, you know, all the Italians who, you know, cooked with Nonna every Sunday and that kind of thing. Like, I think it depends on the culture but yes a lot of them mm. grow up going oh I'm going to be a chef yeah. it's just I love to cook because yeah, that's what I sure. do with my family mm. like yeah, mm. I think like you've, you've seen and you're seeing more young kids seeing chefing as a viable 
um, ambition going forward. And I think it's starting to happen with sommeliers, with the the Somme films and the the kind of prevalence of the, the quartermaster sommeliers. And it's it's a word people actually know now. Like mm. you, you can you can say Somme and people genuinely know what you're talking yeah. about. Mm. Where even like five six years ago, it wasn't really a word people even used to describe themselves that much unless you're like very oh, much in the industry without a doubt like I used to write it when I like travel overseas it's like what's your occupation sommelier <laughs> yeah, yeah. and all the custom guys were like what what's that yeah, what, what, do you, what, do what you is do? one of those I work, I work with booze like yeah, I work yeah. with wine and stuff mm. and like oh great great job great job yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly come on through we'll yeah. allow you into the country mm. what um, let's talk a little bit about sort of how wine culture and sort of some culture has changed since you started back at Manly Sam like I feel like, and I might be wrong here, but I feel like wine sort of connoisseurship back when, uh, back in the day, seemed to be very like very narrow to a certain demographic, mm. and it seems to have broadened. Would that would that be true? Oh, you think? with without yes, a doubt, yeah. yeah, without a doubt, and with the advent of sort of you know minimal intervention, natural wine, more approachable wines, um, you know, all those trends have sort of been at the forefront and it's sort of the younger demographics that are sort of catching on to that. I mean, the thing I've always loved about wine is that you can talk about so many different things through the lens of wine. So take something like we can talk about economics and things through the lens of wine for the simple fact that I'll say to you, yes, it's younger people drinking. And the the flip of that is that we've got less room to be able to sell wines. People don't aren't owning as many homes, so it's either a wine fridge or literally a cupboard under the stairs if you've got stairs and that kind of thing, or one of those little wine racks on the end of your dining room table or whatever, which means wine in then turn is being made in a more of a drink now kind of fashion. Mm. And all of that stems from us having a wine conversation, but we can extrapolate it out to economic and societal kind of issues because they're all interplayed together. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, like I said, with, with kind of the natural wine movement, mm. Mm. I call it a movement, um, <laughs> that's going to change the way people talk about wine, it's changed the, the, the people who drink wine, yeah. whereas it was seen as very you know, upper class, rich, yeah, White like men. I think about my dad and his mates. Like my dad's a seventy-five. He's seventy-five now. Like member of the. I grew up in Canberra. Member of the Canberra Wine and Food Club, where they all put a tie on on Saturday <laughs> yeah. night and go drink Shiraz. Yeah. yeah, like and that was them. You yeah. know what I mean? It was We're just older folk and the, the uh, yeah. The Wollongong Food and Wine Association used to do the Salamic Cavot, and it was a. Uh, an interesting snapshot <laughs> yeah. of their their demographic. Yeah, um, the beef and. and <laughs> Bourguignon uh, peeps that would yeah. come into Manly Pavilion with like the whole full get up and, and yeah, yeah. And you can predict the bottles they bring as well 100% like these guys they're, they're very Aussie centric these guys so they're kind of quite like that but there was always going to be a bottle of Wins a mm-hmm. bottle of old that one that was yep. probably like stinking and off yeah and the, classic, like, one, the classic ones Wins yeah. that one there was always some sort of Penfolds yeah. Grange, yeah. Po- Grange possibly or it'd be Saint Henri or RWT or yeah. like one of the bin ones under there like yeah, that's exactly are, my oh, there's dad. Like a, there's always a Lewin yeah. Estate art yeah. series yeah. in there. Yeah. Like yeah. those are the iconics and the classics. Mm. And you know, to their credit, we can't have what we have now without having those guys blazing the trail sure. first. Either that be globally or domestically. Yeah. So I think it was, it was very much a, um, a static. We want to buy these wines. Where now, um, I mean, you see the, the amount of small young producers mm. in the last five years alone has absolutely exploded. Mm. Um, and that's because people are, and it kind of fits into everything, people are more willing to, to try new things, mm-hmm. want to try new things, like want to be the person who's discovered that new wine, that new read, or you know, whatever it is. Um, and also like the natural wine movement ties in with people's caring a bit more about how things are grown, yeah. where things came from, how they're being made. So it's all kind of mm. come in with the, the, that kind of, um, that culture of, of being a bit more, thoughtful about what you eat and drink can can you guys at all though like trace the origins of the that relationship between young people and minimal intervention wine and how this sort of like it's it's trendy as fuck let's like put it that way (laughs) but like this trendy this this trendy as fuck natural wine movement of 
young people and like labels that's you know the yeti and the coconut with like <laughs> awesome cool colorful labels yeah. and beautiful like stuff and quirky names Crushing and or ones all on the- like recycled paper they're drawn by their kids or yeah. something yeah. Uh, like or, or something. yeah exactly <laughs> and we're not like it's, you know we're not shitting on it it's it's awesome yeah yeah we love it but like what's the origins of this how did how, like who was first like, do you guys know who was first on the scene and how this sort of trend began that has this relationship with young people that is so responsible for changing the demographics of wine consumption and the way that it's sort of talked about and understood well i mean the origins of the natural wine movement in australia has always been a testament to like the Lucy Margots, you know, Tom Shaw Brooks, um, you know, the late, the late Sam Hughes, mm. God bless him. Um, it was always a testament to those guys pushing those boundaries. And, you know, that was kind of like the forefront of that and mm. that ethos. I think the link between the natural wine, minimal intervention movement, shall we say, and younger people was because they were the ones that were talking to the younger people. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that were saying, you know, you don't have to be like your parents and drink these 16%, you know, reds and things like that. We're making wines that are more approachable and of the earth to some extent. I mean, mind you, all wine is of the earth, but mm. focusing on the care and attention that it takes and things like that. And... And we're not going to talk to you like you're, you know, unknowledgeable or an idiot or anything like that. Like, just come and just try this stuff. It was, it was very much like a. I remember my first tasting with with Sam and Tom. They literally came, and Sam was in these tiny pink hot pant shorts that he wore at like every tasting. <laughs> and they came with this cured meat that they had made in like the winery and things like that. And it was literally Sam, this board, this thing of cured meat and I think it was like cornichons or pickles or something and he just had this like huge knife and was just hacking bits of meat off and like shoving it in my face as I'm drinking this wine just to take the edge off Mm. and when you have a memorable experience like that you're like yes I'm going to remember those wines and this experience and these people talking to me and you know it makes me invested in what it is that you're doing or trying to do or or trying to put forward and I think that to their testament was a huge part of it mm. yeah. I mean like Tom Schober especially is just very unpretentious yes um, amazing guy to talk about like very generous with his time and his words yeah. um, so I mean a different and you still see it um, with your kind of wine reps you see like the old, so the older generation and then the younger generation and the way yeah. they talk to you the way they email you the way they approach you the way they like set up meetings and stuff it's, it's quite stark mm. um, and I mean almost to the point now with the portfolios they work with as well you can you can almost look at the portfolio and kind of work out which kind of person is going to show up when you yeah. have a meeting with them so it's, it's quite a stark difference and yeah like I said like as a as younger people in the industry you, you don't want that that um, sort of pomposity around it like you're trying to make your customers have fun um, mm. and, and not be overly serious about stuff mm. and enjoy and spend money and have a good time. Yeah. Because that's kind of what we're doing. Is it's not all about the ceremony of everything. So, yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of filtered from, from the winemakers doing amazing things. I remember stories about those guys. It was the natural wine... What was the little couple of thing they started up together? The natural wine... Um, there, was like, there was like... Yeah, those, those three guys and they just like... Um, do little shows and they just like wander around city restaurants. It was like a collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, theory or something like that? No, it was something else. I can't remember the name Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like it's it's fascinating though and I wonder, I mean, I, obviously it's, it's, it's credit to these people but there might, there, there's a lot of other stuff I guess that plays into it and probably social media is one of them and the way that people engage with food and like drinks now on social media and how that facilitates collaboration between chefs and psalms and winemakers and things like that and there's just this sort of constantly interconnected web of people spreading information and meeting new people and Mm. spreading that web further and further and further but there's also like this interesting transparency when it comes to you know instagram and stuff like that now where like you, you can just click on someone and and you can get an idea of who they are and who that winemaker is and exactly what they're doing in like real time and you know most people in the hospitality industry or i'm guessing winemakers as well like quite just like open and transparent people and they just talk about what they do and their platforms that um young people use more Mm. like disproportionately compared to old people (laughs) and people are interested people just get interested and they get hooked i think um 
so especially now people want the story and want that connection with the sort of winemaker and social media makes that a lot easier um whereas before it was kind of that was the company and it was the company you bought off now it's very much about the winemaker as kind of cult of the mm. the person you're making it and you know to the, to the kind of the vineyards as well and, and the and the uh, you know, people people growing the grapes so mm. it's kind of there's that more connection people get more of that story um and that kind of forges those tight bonds where you can feel a bit more invested in the company if you kind of feel like you know the people behind it mm. yeah it's a real person behind mm. it so a lot of the wine training and things that i do with groups of people who I suppose don't have a huge amount of experience with wine, the thing I always start off with is saying that one bottle of wine is, as a rough amount, 2.5 kilograms of raw grape material. And it's a minimum of 12 months of somebody's blood, sweat, tears, hard labor. That's one bottle of wine that you probably didn't even think about as you're consuming. It's putting that human element behind the product. Mm. And I think, you know, the thing that we you know, don't always talk about is the overconsumption of wine or the abuse of alcohol and things like that. And when you start to have a conscientious thought behind the product, and I think that's what a lot of natural wine has done as well. Like it's not a mass produced product like, you know, mm. your yellow tails of the world or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that then in turn you know the psychology around it makes you more conscientious of how much you're consuming and having reverence and respect for the bottle that's in front of you mm. does does the way that you now work as a som compared to when you first began or earlier in your career um has that adapted with the way that the the wine industry's changed and what we're talking about now like does your does that connection with people and producers get to the table now more than it, it would have at, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, you ask any, you ask any SOM and the way that we sell wine is not telling you what it's going to taste like. It's yeah. telling you either where it's from or who made it or something interesting about it. That's how we sell you wine. You know, you've got 30 seconds at best to capture somebody's attention before the eyes roll back in the head and they're just like, just put something in the glass. I don't <laughs> care what it is. So, um, you know, it's having that down pat of knowing your producers, knowing your regions inside out, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, being here at Fix, you know, three nights a week, that's how I'm selling wine is, is through the story of it or something really interesting. Mm. I think that that's I mean much for the better as well like yeah. naming fruit like when you're talking about <laughs> wine is just probably the worst way to talk about it because like, like the person you're giving to they get to taste it like you can taste it you can decide what it tastes it's like it's so subjective like yeah and it's exactly like and so you can't really I mean when, when people are overly specific with like flavoured profiles yeah. of wine it's like yeah that's I mean it's great that you picked that but does it really matter um, like I get to taste it, I, like you, and you can think of, you can think that deep about it, or you don't have to. Mm. Um, but like knowing that, like you know where it came from, how it's grown, yeah. maybe a little story about the wine, about how it was made, about that vintage, the winemaker. Yeah. That's like just inherently more interesting to hear and to talk about. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that with this sort of interest in wine from that younger demographic and stuff, there's there's a different like people taste wine in a different way like i feel like i'm sort of more exposed now to this kind of what you're, you guys are talking about where it's like it's not just like okay well this is what i like and this is what i'll drink it's, you're a bit more just like i want to try something that sounds interesting and mm. decide on whether i like it mm. not ask for something that i know i'll like if you know what i mean like how how, how, did, how have you seen the customers people demand the way that people buy wine hasn't changed and I don't think it will change in regards to they either buy on price, they buy on where it comes from, they buy on the great variety, i.e. I know I like Sauvignon Blanc. Could I have something that's like Sauvignon Blanc? Because it's still as much as as much education as we do through wine training or through writing about wine and communicating about wine, it still scares the shit out of people. Mm. Like it's still there, regardless of age, gender, demographic – you, there's still this element of inferiority complex that people have when it comes to wine. It's why you're seeing just normal people, not in hospitality aspects, doing like wine 101 training or doing their Wesset because they want to feel like they understand and know a little bit more mm. and that kind of thing. So 
the way people buy wine hasn't changed. The yeah. way that they interact with it yeah. has. I don't know if people are going to go in a bottle shop and be like, can I get a wine made by the winemaker between the ages of 25 and 32? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I get, yeah. people aren't particularly buying wine like oh, that. Oh, they're buying like, off-label. They're yeah, like, oh, that's yeah. pretty label. Yeah. I'll take that yeah, exactly. kind of yeah. thing. So, um, so, I mean, but I, I think wine's such a funny one that people... For, for no reason at all feel they should know about wine mm. it is like like they, someone who just drinks a couple of wine, wines at home likes going to bar and order wine they feel bad they don't know what they're talking about and it's such yeah. a weird thing like you wouldn't do that with like any like I wouldn't go in the bank and assume <laughs> assume I know like what do you just do oh yeah yeah, yeah oh yeah no, those, no, cu- those currency rates yes absolutely no no about them like, yeah Wine is like it is quite a sophisticated thing in a way. Like there's so much to wine. It's mm. a complex and yeah. sophisticated. It's an industry. It's a drink. It's 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 farming essentially. It's 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 art. It's yeah. everything. And so that sort of sophistication. I think it's just that people sort of really like. Mm. Maybe not so much is that they feel like they should, but they like to think that they do. Yeah. No, yeah. like yeah, yeah. like just a bit yeah, about. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like if someone like mentions a book by an author that you may have read one of their books mm. and, and they're like oh, talking about a book and you're like oh yeah I read their other book like you just because yeah. there's that sophistication that you kind of want to be a part of <laughs> if you know what I mean it's, it's why rain hail or shine I will always have one heckler at every wine event that I've ever a part of whether that be hosting or a part of it is always one and it's not gender specific. There is always one person in the crowd that loves to either tell me or tell the group how much they know about wine. And, <laughs> and you know, it's been happening for 16 years now. So you've just kind of got to like water off a duck's back. But it's like, yep, yep, you, you're allowed to be here. It's, it's okay. You're like, it's fine. Like, bravo for knowing everything that you yeah. know. Like, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Like... Yeah, people just are very funny with it. Yeah, um, I think like it, just, it, it also makes for some like funny moments, right? I don't know that you, you've mentioned in previous conversations, Simon, how it just it does make for some like funny moments at the at table side when uh, people are trying yeah. to sort of express their knowledge and things yeah. like that, saying funny um, things like. I think like, I mean, it definitely happens with the kind of probably the one similarity between like, younger generation, older generation of winemakers is people still want to drink those specific wines like all the natty wine lovers still want to crush a mag of radicon <laughs> like compared to someone who wants to sip on a grange like like mm. but it's still yeah. very very much driven by by branding by those bre- like you know things that are you know hard to find unicorn fucking wines yeah the cult wines yeah so people people are still very driven by that and you get a lot of like young people who um i think you know, this isn't a kind of a really criticism but they, they don't particularly know much about wine they just know the wines they want to drink or the wines they want to order, which mm. is, is the same across things, just the, the, the types of wine changes. Which links back to that sort of social media thing that you were talking about mm. is, is what are the wines that everyone are talking about? Mm. Like, what are the wines that are, like you said, the unicorn wines, what's hard to get? Yeah. All of that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, oh, that person's got it. And like, totally. ooh, exactly. there's, there's wines that I know anytime that someone will throw it up on their Instagram stories and it'll get a thousand yeah. likes. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, yes. Yeah. That one, like, yeah. there's there's a, there's a handful of them that you just know that are like instant social media yeah. gold. Well, it's funny too because, like, as Soms, you guys are kind of salespeople in a way as well. Like, you're selling people wine. You're, mm. you're, you're like, yeah, if I'm not selling wine, I don't line, have a job. Yeah, yeah like. your, your, your job is to try to sell people as much wine as as they can as you can, basically. Yeah. Like, and good wine, and educate them and, and all this stuff at the same time. But if there's something that they want, like, yeah, 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 why. There's a lot, a lot of places now we're going for quite specific. Well, like places that kind of say that we're a natural wine bar. Yeah. There's one I'm always a bit weird. Like that word is it gets misunderstood quite a lot, and mm. it's, it's a weird word to use around a, a product that, like, I mean, you can either say all oh, wine's natural or it's not at all. Like, yeah. like wine doesn't spontaneously like fall into like yeah. fall, <laughs> fall into vats like yeah. just by nature. Like it's the yeah. minute the minute you've plucked it off the yeah, vine, it's suddenly yeah. unnatural. Exactly. Like, I mean, then you can even you've define, intervened. Like, yeah, and it's like well, we're part of nature. So is that like so? It's just, it's a weird word to use anyway. But people, yeah, really want these like very specific wine lists, and I've always been a bit more of like, like I'll just have like a good spread of wine, and if yeah. that's got some Tyrrells and some some like you know, Rugabellas, like. I like that balance yeah. between, between everything, um, and then you can you can sue everyone's kind of palates and need. Then, at the end of the day, what you are trying to you know, 
please the customer. Yeah. Um, yeah, without a doubt. The wine list that I write actually for a little bar out in Enmore called Fortunate Son, which is right opposite oh, yeah, the cool. Enmore Theatre. Um, the boys there are fantastic and they just said, you know, um, we're going to be putting magnums of Krug and, and Dom on there. So just, you know, we want a well-balanced wine list. You mm. know, it is Enmore, so, you know, put some funky stuff on there but also we want to be that neighborhood bar where you can come in and get a glass of cabernet sauvignon that's Mm. not super green and stripped (laughs) and things like that so um i know for me personally just from my own tastes i've never lent too much towards that natty kind of feel and for me it's always been about balance whether that be balance of price points balance of regions balance of styles like it's about creating and that's the hardest part Mm. is creating something that appeals to everybody Mm. and it's not about my personal taste like you know i've written wine lists where no i wouldn't necessarily drink the wine that's on there but i know that it's good because of whatever criteria that i've painted this wine list with like it holds up to its own merits Mm. yeah i mean that's kind of almost the one of the harder parts is trying to have your your kind of own little brief your list Mm. and then knowing you what like you know like something like trying to find like an australian merlot that's like a bit bolder um, in this price point. That's quite hard to do now because these people aren't, just, aren't making that great, but customers will ask for it. So I kind of was one of the things of like, I want like, at least when someone says, can I have a Merlot, I can give them something. Yeah. And there's a couple of people out there, like Brash Higgins makes a cool one. And I was happy to serve that, even though it's very untypical Merlot for what people ask for. I knew they'd be happy because they got, they got their Merlot. Yeah. I'm happy because it's a producer I like. So like finding mm. those wines there, that, that's kind of the hard part. It's easy to stack a list with all these ball of bottles you see on Instagram. Yeah. It's a lot harder and, you know, in some ways the, the more laborious part, um, trying to find that, you know, trying to find that Pinot Noir for like sub 20 landed, <laughs> like mm. things like I've that. Always, the, you've always got five in your back pocket. Yeah, like yeah, there's always yeah. things that I know to that are my trusty go-to favorites that'll work on any list because, yeah. you know, they're well-made and it comes in at the right price. But yeah. that's, that's the job of being a song. Like mm. That is the be all and end all of why somebody has hired me. If I can't write them a list that sells, I have failed at my primary objective. Exactly. Being a yeah. song. Like I can educate the customers. I can educate the staff. I can, you know, write you a beautiful wine mm. list, but if it doesn't sell, then it's a waste of paper, waste of paper. Mm. Like yeah. you are just holding up stock that let's be honest, restaurants can't afford to be, holding up yeah so um and again that sort of comes back to my background is working in you know my background of having that arts degree was when you look at an artwork you don't just take into consideration what's in front of you you take into consideration the context around it Mm. when was it made who's the artist you know and what period of time are we talking renaissance art are we talking post-impressionism are we talking you know modern art all of this you know these inflections affect how you view the artwork in front of you. And it's the same with the wine list and it's the same mm-hmm. with the bottle of wine. Mm. Mm. How much do you think that, that, uh, that your start in the industry has helped you along the way, especially moving into writing, consulting and things that aren't working the floor? A hundred trillion billion percent. Mm. I couldn't be who I am and the very, let's say, unique little niche that I've carved out for myself (laughs) in the industry if I hadn't done the things that I Mm. had done. So coming from retail and having that arts degree and that critical sort of art, critical critique sort of degree, moving into, you know, hospitality and being a sommelier and then from there going to consulting and then from consulting to writing and now, you know, education and training and, you know, hosting tours for Wine Australia mm. and, and everything that I do, you know, we were talking before about, you know, why people get sucked into this industry. It has completely taken over every aspect of mm. my life and I don't think I could do what I do if it hadn't done because mm. that's the beauty of it is, you know, getting to sit here with people like yourselves and, you know, us meeting on social media and, and mm. things like that is the fact that, that sense of community and family and friendship that permeates the wine and hospitality and food industries. Like I have more friends now that work in the industry Mm. that I do have friends outside of the industry because literally all my spare time is I'm either at an event or pre COVID I was 
traveling interstate or out of the country one or two weeks out of every month on some consulting trips. So it would be going to see friends in other wine regions or things like that, or, you know, going to see friends because they're opening up a new restaurant or something. So mm. yeah, I mean, it becomes like any, like, so like any holiday is based around like what region haven't I been to? Yeah. Like, and who, <laughs> and who do I need to go yeah, see? Yeah. Like, you know, what restaurant do I want to go to? Like it's yeah. kind of, um, yeah, your whole everything you plan, everything outside of your work life just kind of revolves around it because there's mm-hmm. like a never end, never ending list of things to learn, yep. things to go see, places to visit, um, and then just the you know I think most people who are into wine are quite curious people because you have to be because there's literally an endless amount of shit to learn. Yeah, the, and the other awesome thing about it, and I know I just get this a little bit from sort of like traveling, doing food stuff while I travel, but. Uh, is the welcome you get mm. in these places from people that you might not have met before but might have had a bit of contact with on social yeah. media or whatever or you might follow each other on Instagram just yeah. as simple as that and then you're like hey I'm here and then we're like, oh, and yeah. just there's this immediate rapport and you're yeah. immediately welcomed and you get a bit of special treatment maybe here and there yeah. or uh, whatever yeah. um, like if it's great yeah being an industry like especially wine as much as anyone any, any kind of part of hospitality really is a cool community and everyone's like always very accommodating like you can you sort of ring up a winery and be like oh hey I'm going to be there this weekend and I've got a sec and you know yeah. and you end up like wandering around the winery having some drinks having, you know, wandering around the vines like yeah. it's just it's very accommodating very welcoming um, and, and it's, it's just a it's a nice experience going somewhere and being treated like that and, and you know same as if you go to a restaurant and you get a nice table yeah. mm. and, you know, and your, your chef mate comes out and says hello and all the other people are staring at you and you're like <laughs> yeah <laughs> Do you, Sam, did you? So we'll go we'll talk a bit about what you sort of do outside of being a som. But um, did you? Was was the communica- communications and the writing and consultancy sort of intentional from the start? Like, did you did you say I want to be a som, but I, I also want to do other things in the wine world? The communication, the writing. Yes, I always knew that I was going to write about wine and okay. the the somme background was again comes back to that i can't write about something that i don't know yep. that was something that i always firmly believed so me getting my sort of feet wet in the industry and then going to do you know vintages twice a year you know since 2013 that was me understanding the whole value chain of how we get from bottle like so from grape to bottle onto somebody's table or in somebody's home so the consulting thing um that sort of just developed from actually working for um colin fastnitch when we opened up 414 um and you know fantastic experience but sort of got home one night and i was like why am i working 60 hours a week to build up somebody else's brand or some or, or line somebody else's pockets and and yes, all the things that I've learned from it, but I'd gotten to a point where I was like, I could be working 60 plus hours and do that for myself. You know, there was a real need, you know, back in 2013 and, and still now that, you know, people need sort of education around wine and writing a good wine list. And, you know, there's less and less restaurants that have the finances to have a full-time som on the floor. So the education around that. Mm. So that sort of opening is developed into what it is now. How did you find it? Like, how did you pursue that into something you can make money out of, essentially? Asking for a friend. As a part of a career. (laughs) Asking asking (laughs) Asking for for a friend. friend. Well, that's like, I mean, I, I kind of... You're like you're here at fixed three days a week like you said but then you've got all this other stuff happening and it's like I'm sort of in this weird position too where I've got this little publishing business but I do a million other things and mm. I don't even know what to tell people when I they ask me what I do yeah. you know what I mean? it's like you're how, how long have you got and it's like yeah. five minutes and I've just finished <laughs> yeah. my introduction like, yeah. Um, but yeah like actually sort of like manoeuvring to a position where you can make that a, a part of your career path was that was it difficult was it a challenge Look, I think, I mean, there's that old adage where it's like it takes like 10 years to succeed. So that overnight success that you see takes 10 years. Mm. So I started consulting in 2013 and now it's what 95% of my income is from consulting and writing and things like that. I think if a post-COVID, well, not really post-COVID, we're still kind of in it, (laughs) but a post-COVID world has, has taught me and taught a lot of people that I've had conversations with is is how much diversity in your income stream is so incredibly important. Like the amount of messages that I got from people um, when COVID first hit that just went, 
it was really smart that you've got five different, you know, income yeah. streams or I really want to go into business for myself because I lost my job or I lost my primary source of income and things like that and how important it was to kind of do it on your own as much as possible mm. because you've got control over nothing. Mm. Like you can control what you think and how you are as a human being, but everything else is completely out of your hands. So if you can come how sort of, you know, COVID proof your finances in your life, then and whatever that looks like, whatever, you know, drives you and whatever your desire is. Mm. So for me, it was, it was wine in all its different or drinks in all its different sort of facets. Um, yeah. So what gives you the most, what gives you the most pleasure or enjoyment? Like, is this one aspect of what you do, the multitude of things that you Ooh. do that you like the most, or is, is having the balance, the, the pleasurable part? Um, look, I love everything that I do because if I didn't, I wouldn't do it. It's really, it's that mm. simple. That's just, that's how I'm, that's how my makeup is. Mm. Like if I don't enjoy doing something, it's really difficult yeah. to make me do it. I think the mo- the things I love the most and the most enjoyable things are, um, from an education point of view, like hosting though, hosting, I suppose, the Sommelier Immersion Trips for Wine Australia, being able to go around the country and introduce... I guess the next generation of psalms to these producers or these regions. So, I mean, it's something we haven't really touched on, but my specialty is in Australian wine. Yeah. Because that was something that I realised early on. It's like I can know everything and know little parts of it, which is what, you know, any good psalm can do. Or I can know one thing and know it inside out, back to front, and just really immerse myself in it. And that's what it was for Australian wine mm-hmm. for me. So, um yeah, and then obviously f- just the filming side of things. So the filming that we've done with Wine Australia, that we did with Lake Wanaka Tourism, being able to go to these regions and get people excited about what it is that they're creating there, not just from a wine and drinks perspective, but from a produce and a tourism perspective. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, again, sort of post-COVID, we're kind of trapped here in mm. Australia and, and there's so many people that's like, oh, I've never been to x y and z region that's you know on your back doorstep or that's yeah, one I mean, state over and if there's anything it's really exciting to see people doing domestic tourism for that reason i mean mm. even in new south wales it's been nice to see people go yeah. to the new south wales regions and visit them rather than going over to oh, Yarra, so people's like, i've never Australia. been to the hunter valley before yeah. and i was like, like it's only a two-hour so drive like, so i live i lived in canberra for most of my life and <laughs> most people hadn't been to Murray bateman yeah. <laughs> people who lived in canberra <laughs> like <laughs> So yeah, you should go to Murray Bateman mm. for the day because it yeah. takes half an hour to get <laughs> yeah. there. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, anyway, surprise, surprise. The 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 best bits the travel. Hey? Yeah, the best bits <laughs> the travel. I know the bit that took the, the hardest hit. It's just the longest I yeah. haven't been on a plane. I haven't been on a plane since February, and it's yeah, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oops, I mean, this is the most I've left Wollongong in like a three month <laughs> period. Yeah. In, in eight years, I think. All, yeah. this, all this time off. This is my favourite thing. We don't get paid for it, but this is one of the, <laughs> well, one yeah, of the yeah, favourite yeah. things that, zero, so <laughs> out of um, all the things that I do. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hopefully yeah. one day. Yeah, that's the reason we, we do this. Just yeah. have good chats. It's fun. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll kind of hit one more thing maybe um, and then we'll kind of wrap it up a little bit. But um, Simon, you wanted to talk a bit about uh, that those kind of rose-coloured glasses that people view being a sommelier as and how it might not be just just tasting wine yeah, all day, all day, every day. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, especially now, it's like... And it's the same with, same with people who really want to be chefs because they, they, love, they love cooking at home. Yeah. And mm. it's, it's very much different. And it's like, just because you appreciate wine doesn't mean you want to work in the industry because you've got to deal with customers for one. Yeah. And, and they can either make your day great or make your day horrible. Um, it's, it's a lot of um, spreadsheet work. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you've got to, like, keep track of your inventory. Like, it, it's a, depending on how big your wine list is, like, if you've got a, a very large wine list, it's, it's a, a very much a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and or if you're writing multiple wine lists. Yeah, exactly. And it goes from, you can spend the whole day sitting on a laptop, yeah. ordering, doing inventory, and then suddenly you've got to click, get all dressed up, go on the floor. Mm-hmm. In my case, I just have to, like get dressed down and go in the kitchen and do like a service um and it's it's a pretty kind of weird little jump so it's definitely mm. something that uh people don't quite understand 
So maybe we'd go through a bit of uh, a sort of average day of a sommelier. Yeah, um, like, spot on with everything you say because it's like I love chocolate, but I'm not about to go work for Cadbury. Like, it's, yeah. it's that kind of it's that kind That's of like, thing. Like when you're a kid, you're like, I just yeah, want to yeah, work at a chocolate factory. And you get in there and you're like, this isn't what I thought yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. Like, what's with all this sanitation yeah, gear? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't eat it as we go along. Where are the small people singing the songs? Where's the river of chocolate? Yeah, all of all of that. Like the. Rose-coloured glasses is a, is a really good one. I suppose coming from a background of a not really big drinking family, I did, sort of didn't have that jump of like, oh, I really love wine, so mm. I'm going to go work in the wine industry. It was I'm really interested in wine and, and all the things around it, so I'm going to go work in the wine industry. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of spreadsheets, like you said. It's a lot of math, mm. um, which I was not expecting at all. Oh, my God. Oh, so. You're right. Another booking for tonight. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah. You can't. You can't come with twenty of you. You're saying it's a lot of math. It's a lot of math. Yes, a lot of math. Because they don't make uh, invoices easy. For sums. No. Like, like wet the, and GST and yeah. yeah no. Tom, my business partner, has just started kind of dealing with them a bit more because we're sort of sharing the sharing the duties at Parrot. And he just keeps bringing me over and he's like, So how much this one cost? <laughs> and I'm like, it's just go on that one and just add add your GST and you'll be fine. He's like, What's this one then? I'm like, I still don't know. <laughs> I I ignore that one. It's fine. <laughs> like it seems to get paid fine. So yeah. we'll just keep going with it. Just look at the total. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just make sure that gets paid yeah. and, and we'll be fine. We'll sort it out later. After that is good. Yeah, so um yeah, a lot of math because obviously we work on cost of goods and things like that mm. and making sure that we're selling things at the right prices. Um, you know, prices keep going up and mm. there's only so much room that we've got to be able to sell wine, especially with online retail and looking at other restaurants. So there's all of that. And then obviously there is the tasting wine part because they ch- it changes every year. Mm. Like this wine that you've loved for three years straight, something's different or they've changed something and or the vintage was different and there's all of that. And then... Oh, yeah, and then the, the working on the floor, you yeah. know, dealing with with people and the nuances of people, <laughs> shall we say. Um, and there's, you know, that element as well. And then, you know, washing glasses. Washing glasses. Tastings, like, trade tastings are a bit of a marathon. Yeah. Like, some, and like, so, and it's a lot of time... It's, I want to come to the next... Can, can I somehow come to the next one? Yeah, you can sort of sneak in. Yeah, I want to, I've heard so much about trade tasting like, days, and I'm like, I need to experience this. Yeah, at some I mean, point. Not, it's, it's, it's not it's not like a it's not like a wine festival. Like, and it's like the best, especially like me coming to Wollongong. We don't get as many people coming down. Yeah, but especially in the first couple of years, I used to come up to like almost everyone, and sometimes I'd have to get back for work at like six. Oh, that's yeah. rough. And, and it'd be like, and sometimes there's like you know 250 of wines, and mm. you, like you, so you can't taste them all. Yeah. You have to be selective. But after you've done 20 reds... How's your mouth like, feel after that? Not great. Yeah. No. <laughs> not great. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, it's, it's like tough on your palate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when you, you start hitting some reds and then you maybe go to, like, some Italian uh, producer and you're like, <laughs> you're like, great. I'm going to be tasting these for three days now. Mm. Yeah, definitely definitely cherry pick. Definitely spit. Yeah. Uh, that's, my, that's my advice for young Soms, yeah. especially as one who, when she was 18 and went to her first trade tasting, it was one of those massive ones at the Sydney Convention Centre. Oh, and God. I tried spitting the first time, got it basically halfway down my chin. And I was like, okay, well, we're not doing, <laughs> we're not doing that again. Um, and ended up swallowing everything for an hour and a half straight where I actually had to get wedged between two of my co-workers. We were standing at Henschke ta- uh, the Henschke table and pre Henschke the queen of everything Henschke is standing in front of me and I was like hi hi and and then literally wedged between two people because I was like swaying and they were just like just don't embarrass us just just get through it just get through it so yeah I highly recommend highly recommend spitting yeah yeah it's um and again they they are fun it's great and it's amazing to taste that much wine Mm. for free yeah um and it kind of is the only way you can really Learn about wine is, is by tasting as much of it yep. um, as possible and, and talking to you know, either the reps or if you're lucky enough, talk to the, the makers and the producers. Like that, that's the biggest opportunity of things like that. And that, that is like one of, the, one of my favorite things is getting the opportunity to talk to, to winemakers, having yeah. them open at one-on-one time, 
get your little weird questions that you've had in the back of your mind answered. The one one time with 50 other people at the table. So you're like, yeah, I just have to ask yeah, this question yeah, really, yeah. really quick. Yeah, just get one in quickly <laughs> and get your attention. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, yeah, especially for me, I'd, I'd come up on the train in the morning, <laughs> crush a load of wine. What time do they start? And, then, and uh, like no, midday. Oh, okay. Like, that's not like too bad. Late, yeah. Later than like. Yeah. It's like, it's usually midday. It's usually, yeah, out, like, it's like in between seven. So some yeah, of them will start at 10 yeah, so they right. can get like the first bits from like 10 to 12. Mm. And then they'll be like, it'll run to like, you know, six because then you'll get the post lunch service people kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But it's a long, it's a long day. Yeah. Like. Um, all right. We'll, we'll start to wrap it up. Is there anything about the wine industry, wine culture, that that is an issue that that you that you would like to see change? Like, how would you? I mean, it's it's developed so much, and we've talked about that. But what are some sort of things about the industry that you'd like to see change? Like, if you think about a utopian wine culture in the future, <laughs> um, what what do you want to see? Oh. There's quite a few. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you okay? You you going to throw me under this bus first? Okay, so I know I can't badmouth the industry that I basically make my entire living from, and I won't because I do I do truly love it. It's funny when we were talking about this podcast months ago, and you had said, "Do you want to talk about sexism in the wine industry?" And I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh no, it's it's all fine." But then a few months on, and I've actually had time to think about it, and I've had some sort of experiences. And I realized that, and it's, you see it obviously in, in chefing culture as, as well, but the sex, when we talk about sexism in the industry, it's never as in your face as you expect. It's mm. quite subversive and it's quite sort of under the, under the surface there. And so my instant reaction is like, no, there's no sexism in the wine industry. I've had every opportunity. I've, you know, look at where I've come from, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it's the subtle things like that boys club culture that permeates through every industry Mm. globally, not just hospitality and wine and food. It's the thing that we're always battling against and we're always going to be battling against until, you know, that utopian society where there's true equality and things like that. Um, Yeah, if if anything I could change, it would be it would be that and having to fight twice as hard for every opportunity that I've gotten which in some cases have been handed to men who are less qualified than myself okay um and just you know the underhanded sort of comments that you get from strangers and from people that you know at tables where they think they're being really funny and they're very much not you Mm. know I'll use an example of I was actually working here a few weeks ago and I was serving a group of some very well-known winemakers and all jovial, all fun, you know, people that I know and respect and one of them out of the blue goes, oh, I heard you're fucking such and such in the middle of the table in front of all my peers. In what planet is that in any way appropriate Mm, that you think that you can get away with that? But you do because you're a guy and I'm a young female and, you know, you all think that it's fun and games. But in mm. some ways, it's, it's, you're trying to erode the power that I'm trying to build for myself and the brand and all of this kind of stuff. And in that situation, I'm in a lesser power position because I'm here serving you mm. as a song. Mm. You know, so it doesn't matter all the other stuff that I achieve and everything that I do. There's always going to be someone that goes, I'm just going to knock you down just just a little bit mm. because of their own stuff. Mm. So it was very much like, a, oh, uh, no, you know, made, laughed it off, made the joke, tried to smooth it over, all of that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, that's mm. that's the thing that I would change. Yeah, and like, and unfortunately, we still are in this. Like you were saying, the power dynamic there is like you're serving people and stuff, and you're working, and it's like, yeah. I mean, in a in an ideal world, you say, "Hey, get the fuck out," yeah, like or whatever, yeah. you know. And the fact that we're not there yet yeah. as well is, is is a part of the issue. And I think that, like, I mean, this is a we can talk about this as a whole other podcast, and it's something that Simon and I kind of talked about before we. Um, did this podcast because 
you've done a lot of a lot of work when it comes to you know identifying these issues and stuff like that but when we do our podcast like especially like when we've got female guests we don't necessarily want to just fucking always make it about the fact that yeah. You're female. Yeah. Like, yeah. why is that actually an issue? Let's talk yeah. about wine. Like, yeah. let's talk about what you yeah, so we, what you love. We spoke about after we kind of had that idea, and I was like, did I just? I was thinking about what topic we could talk about, yeah. like something that wasn't just kind of surface. And afterwards, I was like, we're just asking that because we're talking to a sommelier who happens to be yeah a, a female. Yeah. Um. So that kind of changed our perspective, and I did quite a lot of research in it as well. And it was one of those things where, like, we've we've mainly had like female front of house staff, so we've always had. Lots of stories from them and you know, yeah. experienced things and had to, you know, give customers some shit or like ask them to leave when they've, when they've, when they've been rude. And even like the other day, like some old dude asked off like front of house staff if she was like Tom's wife. Hmm. Like, for, and, like there was no reason that she would be. And just like this old guy um, just was like, well, you're here. You must be someone's wife. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was just one of those little ones. It was like, what? Like, why would you? Why, why would that even matter? Like, what was it? He was just being an asshole the whole night anyway. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something we, we kind of thought about. And the, the one statistic which I found, which quite surprised me and might surprise kind of a lot of other people where hospitality is set as this very male-dominated industry. Mm. And at a lower level, it's actually not. It's actually majority women. Yeah. It's when you go up that it sharply declines in representation when you mm. get to like the CEO level and, and that's kind of where the like a lot of other industries well yeah, yeah. exactly but actually hospitality like much um, much, yeah. much worse like, the, like there's a it's higher in, it's indicative of the world at large anyway yeah. it's not yeah. just it's not just for us and it's mm. not that I'm a female some and you know Jackie that you had on you know last month last week um, not that she's a female chef you know again we've we've earned everything that we've done in our own mm. right but you're asking things that I would change and that would yeah. be that would be one of them yeah. like it's it's twice as hard to get the same opportunities and I think as well we talk when we talk about money and things like that you know it's all I suppose you know whenever I go into contract negotiations with new clients or things like that it's generally my male friends that I'll speak to for points of reference and things yeah. like that because you know systematically women don't fight as hard for mm -hmm. raises and and things like that and it's only you know being in business for myself since 2013 that i've gotten really good at contract <laughs> negotiations and not being bullied because like you said those top tier people are still men yeah. so they are the men that i'm going up to and going this is what i'm worth here is all the experience here's everything that you want i will yeah. deliver it to you on a silver platter but this is what it's going to cost you mm. and you know it wasn't always the figure that it is now but you build up to that mm. and you talk to your peers male and female exactly. and the more that we're open and honest about the situations that we're in and the experiences that we're having the more it brings it into the light and then we start getting closer towards equality i mm. think because a lot of it's still in the shadows and the thing that's hidden away and nobody yeah. talks about it yeah mm. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I just think that these discussions, if we're talking about changing this such such important issue, it's just talk about it, understand it, and change and and you know continue yeah. down the path. I think the like, wine isn't like I said, doing kind of bad mouthy industry. I think the wine industry is, is in pretty good shape, as with intolerance yes. and acceptance, and you know there is some amazing uh, you know winemakers who are women in Australia. Um, and you know, and, you know, sommeliers, and you know, kind of every level. So it is in a pretty, pretty good place. But there's still that, yes, that underlying shadowy, yeah, yeah like kind I of said, not when spoken we, about. When we first had that conversation, I was like, oh, there's, there's not. And then mm. it's when you think about it, and you think about just the subtle things yep. that happen. That's mm. what, yeah, that's what it is. And it's like that in any industry. Yeah, yeah it's like my that in stories culture. are not it's, unique yeah. to me. Yeah. Like in any industry or any mm. culture, and that's that's you know the sexism and yeah. and inequality that that's the cornerstone of it is is this is the stuff that people say behind closed doors that they that they actually kind of still think is okay and yeah. still think yeah. you know well i think that they think that the problem isn't them them thinking that the problem is them they're not being allowed to state that overtly yeah. like to them it's like why do i have to say this behind closed doors mm. yeah. but they they know that they're going to get some backlash which i mean is the first step people know they're going to get backlash from saying these things mm. or thinking these things or acting this way yeah that's one step to to pushing out of it yeah um yeah and i think i think the, in the the push for more representation across the board in the wine industry from you know people of color to to you know 
diff- different, um, you know, all kind of uh, different backgrounds and diversity yeah, and exactly. all of that. Yeah, is is the kind of next push to have? I think definitely with the Black Lives Matter movement recently, that kind of made me go like, do I, like how many people of color do I know in the wine industry, or like mm. how many winemakers or viticulturists I know who have Aboriginal background, and yeah. it was kind of a bit of a bit stumped on that as well. So it was definitely something I was like, how can how can we sort that in in some way or help like what what can be done in that respect yeah mm. um so that's definitely something that would be cool to see you see change especially uh with a lot of a lot of vines being planted on country yeah mm. um that's something that i'd definitely like to see some change and acknowledging with. those traditional names yeah exactly like i yeah. know that i'm seeing it i'm starting to see it a lot more especially yeah, in more people's bottles, yeah. email footers and back labels and things like that um it's something that you know so i suppose you're getting an exclusive here but mm. um i from january will be gourmet traveler uh Australian Gourmet Travellers for the Food Magazine's Drinks Writer. So I'll awesome. be there. I'll have a monthly column with them. And that's Amazing. something that we'll be focusing on is um, each Australian region that we're talking about each month, um, we, will sh- we will state the traditional Aboriginal Indigenous name for that site. So yeah, for the Riverland, for the McLaren Vale, for the Hunter Valley, all of that. So to start putting it into people's vernacular, to start mm. putting it front of mind for people and acknowledging that we are on land that was never ceded. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, like you said, it's, it's small incremental changes, um, but it's, it's at least we're going in the right direction. We're moving forward in some mm. positive, yeah. healthier way. Mm. Cool. Um, anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? Mm. Simon, I was asking Sam that question, but it sounds like you've no, got no, something it's to fine. say. It's I was, I was <laughs> So I was, I was, yeah, I was just like, when you're like, well, things like to change. There's like some stuff I'm like, I'd really like to change. And other things I'm like, that's a bit of an annoyance to me. <laughs> I was just trying to pick one that would be. Do you like, want to give us one? one? Go on, give us well, one, one yeah, hot yeah. take. So that's why I was like, mm, I was like, <laughs> like, like audibly thinking there. So I was like trying to narrow it down. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's like people who are into wine, but haven't done that little bit of kind of research knowledge building when they're just like, fucking love wines love going to wine festivals love smashing natty wines yeah just love like probably don't even really know what natural wine actually is or a decent definition of it <laughs> uh and just all about it and their whole instagram's full of it without actually kind of knowing a, a little bit more and little going going yeah. to that yeah. extra yeah, yeah. Sort of just, just taking a little bit of time to actually you know yeah. yeah we do a whole other podcast on like wine influences yeah, that you yeah, see yeah. on Instagram I mean, yeah, and you're like, you're other. killing me. Yeah, like the exactly. amount of people that like have come to events or things that I've hosted, whether it be through Palooza and, mm. and love them for resharing and things. And I've had to like slide into DMs and be like, that's not what I said, or that's not yeah, what carbonic not maceration cool. is, or yeah, yeah. You've, you've sort of misunderstood this. Let me just sort of correct that for you. And maybe mm. don't, you know, post that out to your 40,000 yeah, followers. It's going to be wrong. You know, I mean, right. So this is a world I'm not exposed to. Is the wine well, influencer I mean, world? Right? Wine, wine chat part two. Yeah, yeah there's right. a weird like like celebrity kind of wine making thing happening. Oh, um, the Cameron Diaz, clean yeah, wine. yeah. yeah. And, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. There was one uh, actress. Um, I can't remember her name, but she. Oh. One she describes herself as a winemaker. Um, what's her name? She was in Fifty First Dates. Adam Sandler Drew Barrymore Drew Barrymore yeah. yes she describes herself as a winemaker yeah. she has her own she wine she had this label. whole Vogue article I yeah. remember reading it and cringing and she said like oh, how, her description of how rosé was made was just one of those ones like oh like, you peel the skins yeah that was you peel the skins, yeah, off, peel the the skins off and it's like no like, that's that, not, what that was published yeah, yeah it was yeah. published in Vogue yeah. what she did a whole article of how she was a winemaker yeah. and that she makes rosé by peeling the skin off the the grapes and then yeah. I, I yeah, but it's the whole Cameron Diaz clean wine yeah, movement right. thing. It's 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 marketing. It's, yeah. You could the thing about wine, especially in Australia, and to our benefit, and I say this in a positive sense, is that we don't have Appalachian controls like France or like mm, Italy. We yeah. don't have AOCs, which means we have always been at the forefront of innovation because we can make wine out of anything, anywhere, good yeah. or bad you know all the rest of it we've got label rules which are perfect um you know so that you know what it says on the label is what you get but everything else is is up for grabs so it means that in some ways 
you can market things however you want. Yeah, and okay. this is done all over the world. Mm. So they're taking, you know, the whole natural wine movement, we talk about it in a, in a you know, this is new wave and things like that, but it's been around for centuries. Yeah. Like 8,000 years ago, you know, Georgia, uninterrupted Vitis Vinifera history, making wine like we do in natural wine movements now. Yeah. So you take that spin and you can, you can turn anything and, and yeah. There's, there's, some, there's some doozies out less there. Less bullshit then. Less less of the bullshit puffy <laughs> yeah. marketing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we see like, in a like lot of things. Just um, yeah, people just are just admitting that they, they have gaps in their knowledge or they don't know something. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a nice thing I think too. That's, that's just a bit of transparency humility. about what you know. Humility. Yeah, that's, that's what I kind of key in everything. Like, that's what we kind of try to do a little bit with this podcast. Is yeah. like when we don't know something, especially me, I'm the first to admit that yeah. I don't fuck all and about like, wine. I'm always like. <laughs> It's, it's kind of been stages in my, my wine learning as well. I think oh my God, I've got a pretty good grasp here. Yeah. And then like, it was like a few years ago, I just remember like the first time I like just reading about different clones of vines and we're just like, oh, for fuck's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, have I got to go, have I got to learn this now? <laughs> yeah. And like, it's just, it's just another complete massive, like whole different subject. It's, you know, it's suddenly it's agriculture and I feel know, like we're coming full circle because the first thing that Ian, my bottle shop manager at Vintage Cell is told me he goes mm. there's one thing that you walk away knowing it's this the first thing you know is that you know nothing yeah yeah you and go. it will always be yeah. that way like i will always be learning something new or i'll make a mistake and have to you know retrain my thoughts on what it was or exactly. but the joy of the wine industry is that you get to keep learning and you get to keep developing and finding new things and tasting new things and that's the exciting part and i think the minute that i stop being excited by that is the minute that i hang up my corkscrew and go you know what we're done like i'm not excited by this anymore wow all right well you just ended the podcast absolutely (laughs) perfectly yeah sam thank you so much for joining us for a food fight thank you for having me awesome to talk Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.